Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to continue our conversation with Jeff DeGraff. Jeff's life reads like an innovation playbook. The pages are speckled with failures followed by great successes, all because of the mantra he adopted at an early age from icon Walt Disney, keep moving forward. Jeff knows how to innovate because he has been through the ringer and rolled with the punches, each time adding a new, better, and cleverer play than the last to his dossier. Jeff's creative and direct take on making innovation really happen has made him a world-renowned thought leader and have prompted his clients and colleagues to dub him the Dean of Innovation. He is also the co-author of multiple books, including The Innovation Code, The Creative Power of Constructive Conflict, and The Creative Mindset, Mastering the Six Skills that Empower Innovation. Let's continue our conversation with Jeff. Jeff, why do you think it's so hard in our culture Why does disagreement have such a aversion to people? Because there are some people who won't disagree with other people, right? They placate or they're enablers and they're always agreeing, agreeing, agreeing because they don't want to go into that place of constructive conflict. I mean, any thoughts or ideas on why so many people are that way? Yeah, I think it's two things. One, I'm very concerned what social media has done to us. We never encounter the loyal opposition. It's what's called micro-segmenting. And I started writing about this in the early 2000s and I got a lot of um I got a lot of negative feedback and it turns out you know I had to wait 20 years to be sort of on the right side of this argument. Um but you never encounter somebody who says wait a minute that might not be true or uh, let's check that. So think about how news sources have moved right and left to the extremes. And what they're doing the reason is there's an economic model for it. Because once I figure out Ed that you're over here, I can sell you more stuff. And that very much includes politics. And if your listeners don't understand this, micro-segmenting, you know, um, I, all, all I will tell you is, as a business school professor, businesses know way more about you than your spouse does, infinitely, right? They know, because it's they're, they're, they're modeling what are called heuristics, the way you think. This is an artificial intelligence thing. Artificial intelligence isn't what we're, it's not robots doing things. It's the web taking you to places. And of course, it creates other problems, what are called redlining problems. It creates problems where underclasses are held down. I mean, it's a very difficult situation that we've put ourselves in. And in the old days, we used to encounter the other, you know, whether it was Walter Cronkite or whether it was the local church, 
whether it was the school. And so the deinstitutionalization of America, because we carry that chocolate bar around in our pocket that does everything for us, has isolated us. And you can see this in two ways. Um, the last Cigna study, the Cigna company, you know, the health insurance company, was stunning to me because it said two things that I thought people weren't paying attention to. For the first time in the study, young people were more lonely than older people were, which was stunning. And if you look at the suicide rate of young people, it's 25 to 33% over it was at the last generation. So this is a, this is a catastrophe. But the second thing is they're uh, hooking up more than any other generation. So they're, they're, you know, so they're having experience. It should be an intimate experience, but it's clearly not, right? Is this making sense? So we're, so we're in this situation where we don't know how to deal with the conflict because we've never sort of eased into it. We didn't, we didn't have that argument in the third grade on the playground. So we didn't have it in the seventh grade, which maybe somebody threw a punch or something. It was traumatic. I mean, we don't want to encourage that, but typically that's kind of how we came up. You know, we didn't. So when it, when it happens, it has to go somewhere. And so uh, was anybody surprised by the events of last year, what, whether it was in the street or whether it was in Washington, D.C., that all of that generative energy was pent up and it all of a sudden went somewhere. And because it's sort of like couples that don't fight, you ever, you know, you're, you're a, this is your field, not mine, but, you know, healthy families are not particularly, you know, they, they, they have ways of dealing with conflict. Right. right. But, you know, a part of the challenge is even in a relationship like mine, I've been married for over 30 years. I don't know necessarily how to have a effective disagreement, right? I know I can disagree, and I, of course, could always put my foot down and say no, et cetera. But, you know, I'm not sure, and I'm not looking for, uh, you know, counseling at this point, Jeff, necessarily. But, you know, I don't think it's true for a lot of people. There are no high school or junior high school or college programs that teach you how to have uh, positive tension, how to navigate a conflict, how to disagree. We're just expected to be able to do it. And then we're thrown into jobs and roles where these type of behaviors are dominant. And, you know, we come from a soccer culture where everybody wins. The losers get a trophy. The winners get a trophy. Everybody, you know, everybody's a winner. And that's not how the business world works. I, I think one of the things that you're getting at, and there's, there's actually a lot that we could talk about how to get an idea adopted, which sort of falls into this category. And that could be a, a string that we go down. But I think the the issue is the belief that we can do everything on our own, which is a terrible mythology. Or I could tell you the one that really bothers me. And I grew up in a HUD house. So I'm, I think I could I could claim that I pulled myself up on my bootstraps, but it would be a complete fabrication. There was the guy who gave me a job who didn't know me. <clears throat> um, there was the teacher who gave me a break and I got a, I got, you know, I got an internship somewhere. So our, all of our lives, anybody who's ever been anywhere has really relied on other people's charity, their insight, their support, and then hopefully we do it back. But I think in the age of, you know, self-inclusion, where we're only sort of looking at ourselves and not other people, I think that's dangerous. I, and I think it's led to some of the, you know, some of the prejudicial ideas that people have. And it's created the pushback for people to say, and rightfully so, you know, there's some people we've left behind that we need to include in our little, in our little world here. So I'm pretty big on the whole idea of 
diversity in the democratization of innovation. I've been writing about this for 35 years, that you need to have that because that's, those are the people that are going to bring you forward. And even the model that I'm well known for, the three people that I did it with are all very different than I am. And that's kind of why the model came about. Well, when you think back, Jeff, to your 30 years as an instructor and the fantastic work that you've done in respect to innovation and entrepreneurialism and all the students you have met and some who have moved on to credible type roles, you know, are there any specific words or phrases you think of for our listeners to help define bravery in the workplace? I mean, when you think about bravery in the workplace, what words or phrases pop up for you? Destiny. I think people when you authentically ask them what, let me, let me put it this way, the way I'd say the words. I have a lot of students who want to tell me what they want to do. And then I kind of laugh and I say, I'm, I'm not actually interested in what you want to do. But I say, I'm terribly interested in you discovering what you're designed to do. What are you designed to do? What's unique about you? In fact, I've got a class right now of capstone class of undergraduates. And this is sort of their big aha moment. Their big aha moment is you're going to pick a job that's based on what everybody told you you should be doing. You're going to pick a job based on your parents. So this is the bravery moment. This is exactly what you're talking about. This is, do you trust yourself enough? Do you know enough about yourself, your sense-making of the world to make a decision for yourself? And what happens is it's a frightening moment but it's also the most liberating moment because it's an existential moment, Ed. Right, You're saying right. to a young person, you get to own your power. And the minute you own your power, bravery goes, the issue goes away. It's not about you're afraid of this or you're afraid of that. It's about I'm on a path to go somewhere, right? Uh, I'm going to get there and I'm going to own my power. Well, this is the uh, theme of most of the movies in the 1950s, which was, Dad, I don't want to be an attorney. I want to go to New York and be an actor, right? And get out of this house. You know, nobody in this family is going to be an actor. But you know what the good news about that, though, is? You know what I tell them? Go try and be an actor. Because if that's not the right path, you'll adjust. I mean, we, we also, I think, part of bravery is trusting ourselves. And, I, you know, I have a lot of stories about things that I've done that people thought was, well, absolutely crazy. I mean, who who goes from being kind of a presidential scholar at 25 to working for a pizza company? People stopped talking to me, right? But I knew it was the right move because I thought, I want to learn how to build a business. I want to learn how to build. So this is the opportunity that's been given to me. And uh, it could have easily turned out to be the, your local pizzeria around the corner. Well, you mentioned in your bio that uh, you're successes uh, may be equal to or outnumbered by your failures, right? And, you know, failure is a way that we learn. Nobody's life is so perfect that it's one success after another. Somebody out there, I'm sure, has had that experience, but nobody I know. But, um, you know, not doing things well or uh, learning the hard way and saying, hey, dad, I think I need to go to law school. I tried being an actor for three years and I don't think it's going to work out or I'm told I'm a terrible actor. So, you know, do you still support me, might be an okay journey, right? It wasn't the exact journey that I as a parent would have picked, but it still brought you back to a place that might be helpful. Absolutely. And in fact, there isn't nearly enough time in a broadcast like this to talk about all the failures I've been through. And that's, <laughs> I think, the biggest thing. This is a really important part, your point you're making here, Ed. I want to make sure that we swim here for a minute. Um, 
I could tell you when I get together with sort of my peers, we don't talk about success. We just talk about all the times you got beat. And you talk about what you learned when you got beat um, because you get beat a lot, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I love to tell this story about I was on the Aspen Institute group for Tomorrow's Corporation. And there was a famous thing that came out of it where we talked about what was going to happen with the net and the web. And, you know, and this is a lot of well-known innovators. And I was just had the youngest of that group. And when I look back at this, people always talk about how do you, how were you so prescient? I said, you know, it's funny. We missed the collapse of the Soviet Union. <laughs> you know, we missed the entire, we missed the story, the entire story of this period of time and how it changed the trajectory of everything. And so while you're busy congratulating us that we figured out a few gadgets, what, what I'd really like you to see is the, you know, the three quarters of the things that we completely whiffed on. And there's a lot of that, you know, where, you know, on the, and, but I think here's the thing about failure. And I really like uh, Tom Peters sort of view of this. I think he's right on it. Um, it's not great innovators fail, but that's not the end of it. It's really like what Jim Carr used to write about. It's an infinite game version one that just gets you to version two that first book that didn't do well gets you to the second book that does and and so you have to sort of look at your life in a serial form you know that it didn't i didn't get a hit this time up and there's a lot of that and i think what also helps is having somebody in your life who reminds you of that in a good way saying you know uh, that's what you said about that such and such project because i ed i am a complainer I have a wife who's, you know, saintly this way. I come home all the time and say, you know, I wrote 10 pages. They're terrible. I'm an idiot. Nothing. Well, you know, I'd never be published again. I can't believe I, you know, this is my, this is daily in my house. You know, I'm working on this project and they've given me this thing and they think I know how to solve this problem. And boy, if they knew what, a, how I don't, you know, and then like a week later, it's like, oh, I figured this out. And she just rolls her eyes. Right. She says, I knew that I knew you would have. And she goes, well, you know, those days that were the 10 pages that didn't work, got you the 10 pages that did. And I'm like, yeah. So I, so I'd love to tell you that, you know, you, it's all on your own, but it's also good to have people in your life who actually understand you. Well, failures do provide us the best laughs, right? So anytime something goes wrong on a podcast show, I always tell the guests, don't worry a few years from now, we're going to listen back to this and laugh because it was so funny. Right. So Jeff, I'm just curious if somebody at a workplace wanted to say something that required bravery or do something that required bravery, you know, do you have one or two things they should think about or do in advance of that activity that can help them? Yeah. Um, two things. The, the first thing that I would, um, I, I would add is I would start with is what, what is it that you need that is of value to not only you, but to the other person. And this really is walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. You know, um, I think we, we get too wound up in ourselves. And this is where, I'm not saying you forget yourself, but what is it that, that they need to do? And then I'm always very big on the notion of not falling in love with your ideas. If you want to be brave, be willing to go on the ride. So the issue is you're buying the ticket. So I have a story around this. Um, I have a couple of them. I teach at a, any major university has a lot of rules about professors. And um, just like companies do with intellectual property. 
And um, years ago, I uh, had accompanied one of my associate deans. I, I uh, uh, and they wanted to build sort of an innovation community, and I'd built a lot of them in my career. And they wanted to, so I took them around. Took about a year. And when I got in, I said, "Okay, this is the how we build the community. It's going to cost this amount of money." And the dean said, "Dom, we're not going to spend that amount of money." Now this is the bravery moment. I said, "Okay, now." Fair is fair. I spent a year of time setting up what all this is. You don't want to spend the money, but you want to have this outcome, right? I need you to to agree that I'm going to build this and I'm going to own it, but I'll let you guys use it. I'll let it do the things you want to do. So if you're if you're being honest with me and your condition is you couldn't raise the money and I can raise the money, then the right see what I'm doing here. But most people would say, oh, you know, I can't do that. Are you there, the dean? I'm like, no, you've got you've to say there's something in this for you, right? But this means that we have to have an agreement. And so I got it. People don't know that the Innovatriums, all these uh, innovation labs belong to me, right? My, me and my wife, my wife and I. Um, but the notion is you have to be brave in that moment. The second time that that happened, we had uh, the dean of the School of Engineering came down and they said, we're very interested in building, this is sort of right before Coursera and all that stuff, uh, a certification program for innovation. And we'd like you to do it. And I said the same thing. I said, um, okay, I'm willing to do it, which is what you want, but I'm going to own the intellectual property. I get to be, I get something out of this too. Now, why this is important for your listeners to hear, this is not bravado. This is saying, I'm going to give you something, right, that's valuable. But I'm valuable too, right? It's not a negotiating tactic. It's not about I'm trying to get a better deal. It's saying I'm honoring you, but you need to honor me. And what I find, Ed, a lot of people collapse at that point. They just don't think that they, they're worthy. They, but but it, has, it can't just be something you want. It's got to be something that, you know, what did Kennedy say? A rising tide raises all boats. It's got to raise all the boats. And if you're willing to go on that ride, you will find it takes you in very interesting places. You're not, but if you go in and you're just absolutely wed to an idea, right? You're setting yourself up to failure because the notion is it's a yes or no proposition. Well, I love that methodology, Jeff, and this idea that A, you don't always have the right outcome, right? You go in to say something to your boss about something they could be doing differently to be more effective doesn't mean that your idea on what they could do is the idea, right? You need to be open to options and uh, hybrid solutions to think about to say, you know, what are some ways that we could solve this? I have an idea, but I'd love to hear from you what your ideas might be to see if we can come up with something, if in fact they listen. And then this idea of also not making it about you, right? So anytime that you need to say something to somebody that requires bravery, you can't do it vindictively. You can't do it to make them feel wrong or bad. I mean, they have to believe that you are coming from a place of caring about them and that you're trying to help them be better perceived or better experienced as a leader in their organization. Yeah, boy, I couldn't agree with that more. In fact, I, that's one, I love self-help books, but I have a one real problem with them. And that is at the basis of them, a lot of them are narcissistic. So you, I think you have to help yourself without being narcissistic, right? Saying, I'm here as I'm here to create value with all of us here. I'm here to build something with all of us, right? I, and I have a unique skill. So think of it like um, 
you're a position on a sports team or you play an instrument in an orchestra or you're one of the superheroes on the Avengers, you have a skill, not all the skills. Right. They call it, it was Avengers with an S, plural, right? It wasn't just one Avenger, but Well, isn't that what's fun, fun about the movies? The fun part of the movie is at the beginning, you know, they all think they're the one that's going to solve the problem. Then they spend the, you know, the next 30 minutes hating on each other. Then they have this revelation <laughs> that they need each other. It's like young right. people when they get married. You're like, you just watch them go through this. And go, okay, you'll figure it, it all, out. It all comes out in the end. So yeah, hang in there. Jeff, Jeff, thank you so much for your time and for talking to us about bravery in the workplace and your two books uh, that are the most recent two. Congratulations on those. How can folks get in touch with you or find out more about you uh, if they want to hear more about the work that you're doing? Yeah, two things. One is you can go to jeffdegraff.com and there's a ton of free resources. No one will ever bother you. There's books to download. There's a curriculum to download, a whole bunch of stuff. jeffdegraff.com. And then the other thing is I'm one of the original LinkedIn influencers. So if you go to LinkedIn, I'm relatively easy to follow. And again, a lot of those resources sort of flow through there. Um, I think those would be probably the two easiest ways to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Well, again, Jeff, thank you so much for your thoughts and time today. It was great speaking with you. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, electronically, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.